excited to be with you today, as always. And um, I want to share with you a dream I had last night. Um, I don't know the interpretation because I don't pretend to know to interpret things like that. My dreams sometimes are spot on, but lately they've been a little odd. Um, but last night I had a dream that, so if you don't know, sometimes I substitute teach at Baden Academy. And I was in this sixth grade classroom and I had these papers that I was supposed to teach the kids who were coming in and I was getting ready. I was shuffling them around, making sure I understood the material. And as the kids started to come into the classroom in my dream, uh, I just had to keep asking them like, wait, you guys are a little bit late. What, what, or where were you? Or um, you're not supposed to be sitting there. You're supposed to be sitting over here. And it was a little bit chaotic. Again, this is a dream, although this is very close to reality. Um, and then I turned to pick up the papers that I was supposed to be teaching that day. And they had been covered with another teacher bringing me all of the stuff to prepare for the next week. And I looked at all the stuff and I said, this is great, but th this, isn't, this isn't what we're supposed to do today. I was given something to do with the kids today and now I can't find it. How am I supposed to find it? Under this mess of preparedness that's wonderful but terrible at the same time. So I don't know if that was anxiety. I don't know if it was the full sleeve of Thin Mints that I ate yesterday. Um, but it does, it's a little bit applicable to, to some of the things I'm talking about. So there's probably a mixture of all three things in the dream. Because I'm talking about expectation and the expectation that we should have of the coming new city, new kingdom, and new heaven. And I'm talking about what gets in the way sometimes for that, which can be preparing for something that isn't the kingdom. So tuck that away. I want to pull up uh, one of the phrases that I encountered while I was studying as my first slide because it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. And it says, the hallelujahs of the renewed world will drown out the voice of woe forever. So we're going to get into scripture and we're going to get into some practical stuff. But I want you to tuck that away in your hearts and minds because it's powerful and it is at the heart of what we're talking about today. So each generation before us has had people who have thought this is the day, this is the season in which Christ is coming again. There's been an expectancy. And when I was a child, my mom told me the story of one evening she was in bed and my parents were in bed and all of a sudden a bright light shone into their window their house began to shake a little bit and there was this really loud sound and my dad faithfully exclaimed this is it this is it um some of you may know that i grew up in a military family and though we didn't live on base we lived pretty close to base and that evening a helicopter had flown super close to our house but it's a picture of a faith, of a posture of expectancy that I believe is preached in scripture. That at any given moment, we are here and we are living and we are calling the kingdom forth, but we are also saying, this could be it. Here we go. Like, giddy up. I'm ready. I have faith. And I want, I want that to be the posture we kind of enter into scripture. Um, 
I've recently also had a few conversations with friends and family about this growing desire to actively live like Jesus is coming again. Not that it's at the back of our minds, but that it's at the forefront of our minds and sort of a lens through which we put things. So I've tucked each of those conversations away and I've just been asking God, what does that mean? Why does this keep coming up in multiple circles? Um, what is, is this for the body? Is this for me? I'm not quite sure. But I believe that um, those conversations are revealing a word for our body. And I think it's highlighting a deeper level of faith for his saints. An identity, a purpose, and a promise that we are sojourners calling the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven and joyfully awaiting the coming of Christ. Because I think there's an, uh, a fearful expectancy that we can have, and I think there's a joyful expectancy that we can have. And I, I think the Lord is drawing us into joyful expectancy of his coming. So today, we are going to look at um, Hebrews 11. Uh, and there are saints in Hebrews 11 who exhibit this kind of faith. Um, recently, I went on a trip to Canton, Ohio. I was recruiting for Alcoba Impact City Camp, and there's a college in Canton called Malone. It's a great college. And in between my Airbnb and going to the college, I wanted to get some Starbucks. So I typed in along the route, where is a Starbucks on the way? It popped up Hall of Fame Plaza. I didn't think anything of it. I drove in my car. I took a wrong turn. And in front of me is this very familiar looking building. And I immediately got out my phone and I said, Dad, I just accidentally pulled into the Football Hall of Fame. And if any of you know my dad, you know just sharing that moment with him is like the best. We don't even have to go together. We just have to talk about the fact that I was in the parking lot to the Hall of Fame. Um, and I was thinking about the recent like excitement about Darrell Rivas being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I was like, what would it be like to be excited that saints get inducted into the heroes of faith? Can we get excited that we live a life that we look at generations before us and we say they lived a life of daily expectancy of the kingdom of God and they are in the hall of faith. That is so cool. Um, can we get just as, if not more excited to live a life of radical faith that would earn us a nomination into the hall of heroes of faith? And that nomination would come because we lived a life longing for new heaven and new earth. New heaven and new earth. I want to see a new heaven and earth. So let's look at Hebrews 11. Um, the purpose of this book was pastoral in nature. And we see this flip-flopping of teaching and exhorting done by the author. And we know that the people he was writing to were facing persecution. However, the author saw the greatest threat to the people reading Hebrews as being slowness to learn and laziness. They were second and third generation Christians, and they were in danger in the midst of persecution and in just kind of maybe just contentedness 
of going back to their old ways or not realizing that there was more a fullness to their God that they had yet to experience. Um, so the heart of Hebrews is to teach a fuller understanding of Christ and to point them forward to God's promises in the midst of persecution or the temptation to go back to the way it was, to go back to the good old days. Just before the chapter we're going to read in chapter 10, the readers are informed of their need to persevere and that their faith was the means that they would persevere. Um, and we open Hebrews 11 with this, which says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I encourage you. I was blown away. I've, I've read this passage before. I was blown away by people kind of dissecting just this verse and like its meaning and the heart behind it. I'm not going to do that today, but I would encourage you to do so if you feel so led. Um, so we have this opening saying, faith, this is the means by which I want you to persevere. Now I'm going to give you some examples from the Old Testament of saints who persevered and who are now in the hall of faith. So we have Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. And they're to illustrate this point. And then comes the kicker, and the ladies in my missional community will know about this because I sort of cheated in sermon prep and had us do Discovery Bible Method on this passage together. So thanks, ladies. I appreciate your help with this. <laughs> um, in 11, 13 through 16, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Oof. It's, it's so good. Um, and then after all of this, so this is kind of like an aside. It's here's these examples in the Old Testament of, of stories. Like go back, look at these stories. See the context. See the faith that existed in these stories. All of these people died welcoming the promises from a distance and not seeing them come to fruition. Then he continues to use examples such as Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David, and Samuel. So these are all people that we can then go back and look at their lives, look at what, what was this faith that they were living out? What does this, what can this do to my soul? How can this nourish, nourish my soul to persevere in faith? Things to note. Every single Old Testament saint mentioned in this chapter had good reasons not to persevere and to turn back. None of their stories were filled with rainbows and butterflies, okay? We have many, many, many reasons to say this is too much. I want to go back to the way it was. I want to go back to comfort. I want to go back to whatever is keeping me from what is ahead of me. And second, they all died in faith without receiving all of the blessing promised to them but gradually saw them from a distance. What a good God we serve 
that even though they didn't get to see the fullness, he gave them pictures of what they were longing for, that ignited in them the joy of expectation of the fullness of that in this new city that he has created for them. So if this is true, then what? I think that it speaks to identity, call, and promise for us today. So, identity. We see in Hebrews 11:13b that these heroes of the faith admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They did not feel at home where they were. So our identity as saints is as strangers, aliens, or sojourners. Um, There's a slide that kind of breaks down those three things. So stranger, meaning a guest, alien, belonging to another, and sojourner, one who lives in a place without a right to citizenship. So we, our identity here on this earth, as we wait for Christ's second coming, is to feel out of place. We are not supposed to feel comfortable. We are not supposed to feel like we necessarily belong. And we are supposed to be looking for something. Looking, like, this makes me go, then where, where do I belong? Where do I go? What am I supposed to do? Because I know that God is a God of love and goodness and comfort. So this means this isn't it. God's giving me something greater. He's not just leaving me in this place of identity crisis. He's saying, no, your identity crisis is if you're living in empire and trying to look like empire because you were created for the kingdom of God. So you're going to walk around feeling a little bit off all the time, and that's okay. And that should almost be a check in our spirits of, do I feel a little bit too comfortable in empire Maybe I need to re-examine where my uh, heart and my mind is directed. So our identity in Christ is as aliens and strangers and sojourners. I recently read a book um, that was talking about uh, a woman and her son who were escaping um, crime and essentially a death threat from the cartel in Mexico. And it was a, a novel about their journey to try to get across the border. And at one point, they're, they're riding on top of a train. And they are um, riding, and they're going north. And they suddenly see a train coming south. And the, the, the woman can't quite pinpoint like what is off about the people coming south. Also, why are they coming south? We're all supposed to be going north. Like, this is the wrong direction. What are you doing? She looked at them, and she, she couldn't figure out what was wrong. And eventually, a little boy hops on the train, and, and she's like, what's going on? Um, and it was people who had gone and, and somehow had ended up being sent back. And she realized that um, what was different about them is they didn't have backpacks. So everyone on the train going north put everything that they ever owned in this backpack, and that was it. And they were going, and they were all traveling north to try escape um, whatever they were escaping. And um, I thought about that imagery of just like, what? And that was our identity. It's like, oh, you could tell someone didn't belong because they had this backpack on and they were trying to get away. Um, And I was like, what? Um, 
identifies us as sojourners on this, in this world? What backpack do we have on that goes, oh, they are going for something more. Their identity is different than, than the people around us. They're not just like riding the top of the train for fun. I um, mean, so I feel like there's a development of faith, spiritual gifting, spiritual warfare that we carry with us as sojourners that identifies us as ones who do not belong in this place. Like I am going and all I'm bringing with me is my faith, my gifting, and my ability to speak against the ways of this kingdom. Um, I don't know if that analogy flushes out completely, but just imagine a little tiny backpack, faith, spiritual gifts, um, is what we are bringing with us as sojourners. Um, the people in this passage, the strangers, the saints of the Old Testament, expected little of this world. They longed to get home, one that was better than that which they experienced on earth. We are travelers who are daily getting closer to the new heaven and earth promised to us. And we would look at those, those travelers going back on the train saying, what are you doing? This is where we're going. Don't you still hope for this? The people in this passage hoped for this, and they had no desire to return to their old country. Those of us who have been delivered from anything of this world, whether it be healing, whether it be addiction, whether it just be from our sin, know that we know that we don't want to go back. We don't want to go back to what the world had for us. And these saints in Hebrews 11 could have gone back to the comforts of their old country, and they had absolutely no desire to go back because they saw something greater promised to them in their future. Um, they expected little of this world, longing to get home. And we see in 11:15 through 16, that passage, no desire to go back to where they came from. Um, now, I have this image that came up. I was scrolling Instagram while I was prepping. I don't know if it worked. Cause, okay, I don't know if you can see it. <clears throat> so I was scrolling Instagram, and it was a clip, and I really did not even want to try figure out how to get the clip in the slides, so I just sent Zane a picture, and even that was challenging for me to do properly. But in this clip, in the meme, it was... This is from Pirates of the Caribbean, and the ship they're on is actively being destroyed. I mean, you're just seeing, like, explosions, wood pieces flying, and he is walking down these steps as if, like, nothing is happening. And the meme said, when everything around you is falling apart, but you have Jesus. And I felt that. <laughs> and I'm sure you have felt that before. Um, there is... No evidence in scripture, like I said before, that these saints of the Old Testament stories were easy. There's actually evidence to the contrary of that. Yet, they lived out a faith, not perfectly by any means, but they lived out a faith that allowed them to persevere when their ship was literally blowing up around them. And I want to say, I know that when I'm talking about this journey for us, I am not saying that, oh yeah, if you just point forward, like if your nose is to the forward, like I tell my students, the little ones, not the big ones, um, you'll be great, it'll be fine, it'll be lovely. No, I know that there are days when we look towards the kingdom of God and literal carnage and wreckage is all around us in our lives. But there is a supernatural capacity 
that we develop through our faith to navigate that and continue saying, God, I don't understand, but I know what you have promised me, and I cling to that, and I persevere. So what is that? How do we persevere? Hebrews 10 told us it is faith, which is the means to persevere. Uh, the saints here died with complete confidence that their promises would see fulfillment. In other words, they died full of faith, and the author is exhorting his readers to cultivate this faith. And we see at the end of this passage that it is their faith that made God declare that he was not ashamed to be called their God, and he had made a city for them. Not ashamed because of their faith. Not their failures, which there were plenty. Okay, it is their faith in the midst of this that made God say, I am not ashamed to be your God. Welcome to the city that I have created for you. I want the Lord to say that to me. <laughs> so faith, um, I have two quotes about faith that um, really impacted me in my study. One, faith excites the soul to yearn for the holy things of God unseen by the human eye. So, and that is what makes us look a little bit like strangers or sojourners to the world because we get excited about stuff that the people around us who don't know God look around and are like, what are you talking about? Like, this doesn't make, like, nothing about your life is going great right now and you still have a faith and a hope that makes no sense to the world. And then the second one, faith has a clear and strong eye and can see promised mercies at a great distance. I think that's what we see in Hebrews 11, these Old Testament saints who said, I see it. I see it. God has given me a spiritual eye to see his promises, and I will continue to persevere. I will continue to feel like a sojourner on this world with people around me thinking that I'm crazy or a little bit odd because I know what has been promised to me. Um, faith says God will do what he promised. Faith or faithfulness stands at the heart of the relationship between the God of the Bible and his people. At its core, our relationship with God is based in faith. I don't see you, but I know you to be true, and I've seen evidence of you here in this world. The kingdom has come on earth, and I've seen it. When we declare, that our, when we declare our faith... In the unseen, it cultivates hope within our soul. We taste and we see that God is good, and we persevere. And what are we persevering towards? Because I think that while it's unseen, it's not unpromised, and it's not unrevealed to us what God is asking us to move towards. And that is this new city. In Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I got really excited when John included this in the reading or whoever did it for last week because I was, I, I, I knew um, kind of the direction I was going, but it's like, I want to know, I want to get excited. I want to know the promise in a different way. And this popped up and I was like, got it. Yes, we're going to explore Revelation 21. So let's do that together. Um, the era of the Old Testament saints found them longing for the fulfillment of promises. When I think of my Jewish brothers and sisters, <clears throat> one thing that often breaks my heart is just their longing for the fulfillment of things um, to come. So much of their effort and energy and faithfulness waiting for some things that we know to be true through Jesus Christ incarnate on earth. Just this idea of just waiting and waiting and clinging to the promises of God. Uh, today, we have priv the privilege to see partially fulfilled promises. So we have a privilege that the saints who are in this passage and declared as heroes of the faith didn't necessarily even cling to in their faith. So we have partially fulfilled promises, but we're still living in an era where we are waiting full fulfillment of the things that God has promised us the full accomplishment of God's redemptive plan. In Revelation 21, we see John's vision of the new heaven and new earth, and it contained information not revealed in other visions of heaven. Uh, the eternal state is pictured as a physical place. So we go from this ethereal kind of understanding of the heaven in which God reigns, and we get this vision that gives us things to touch in our minds, things to see in our minds, to, to be able to walk and look at deadness and say, in the new heaven and new earth, this will be restored. This could be green again. This stream could have life again. This body can be whole again. So we, God gives this vision to say, there is a real redemptive and restorative city coming, and this is what we are persevering towards. So what do we do with this information? We know we have faith to persevere, and we are persevering towards this new heaven and new earth. So we then, that manifests in a life lived in expectation. We live in expectation of the new heavens and new earth. Um, a few definitions of expectation are reaching out in readiness to receive something. I think it's interesting because it's not as if it caught us off guard, even though we know that we don't know the time. This is someone who's been ready someone who's been waiting, and the moment that they see it, they grasp it. Expectation is a strained expectancy, an eager longing, going, Lord, I always think when we take communion um, that I want to, each and every time, cultivate a deeper desire, and when we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I think it's really easy to say, because we say it every time, and it's kind of like our ritual, our habit, but like, do I actually say that fully believing that I want Jesus to come like right here and right now, regardless of my plans? Have I been waiting and saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and if he comes, am I like, yeah, sign me up, let's go. 
And then three, expectation and absorption. So I, like, I had to like do a double definition of the definition because there were some really insane words used all in a row in this. So absorption, preoccupation or immersion in the person of Christ and abstraction, removal from ought, anything at all that hinders. So expectation is a preoccupation with the person of Christ and the removal of anything that hinders us from having that expectation. Yeah, that original definition was a doozy. Um, In this vision in Revelation 21, it describes a physical city, like I've already said, often referred to as new heavens and new earth, new city, the kingdom here on earth. All of these are referencing what is depicted in John's vision in this passage. The old earth is not simply restored, but new in perfect unity with its creator. It's new in character and it is fresh. It's better. It's a better heaven, a better earth that replaces the old. This city is not a place of um, like nirvana or just like floating around in like, ooh, everything's better and I feel great. That is not what is described in scripture. This is a place of life. This is a place of activity. This is a place of interest. And this is a, a place where the people of God interact with one another. This is a living environment, okay? The, 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 the fullness of God's kingdom here on earth is living, active, beautiful, restored. And I just want to encourage you, I've also had the privilege of having some really cool conversations with multiple people that like to imagine what that means. And I think as we grow in our faith and in, in, in our, in our um, foundation in scripture, uh, we can begin to get excited and think about, like, what does that actually mean? Like, can I use the creativity that the Lord gave me in my brain to imagine what this living, breathing, beautiful new heaven and earth is? And when I was a senior in college, I had a project where I had to do a, I think I did like a semester long study with middle schoolers at this church on the character of God. And there was one thing that we said every single week. And it was um, when we were talking about how God describes himself and how he uses like things like words of this earth to describe it. And we would always revisit the fact. I was like, he uses those things so that we can understand it because God is like nothing else we've ever experienced or seen here on this earth. So he gives us pictures, but that doesn't mean that we have to stop because we just don't know the fullness of God He's God. We have never seen. So I give us freedom as a body to get excited about dreaming about what the new heaven and new earth looks like, this beautiful living place. I mean, in Revelation 21, we see gold streets. We see jewels. We see all these earthly images. But again, they're only things of this earth because that's all we have. Like, be excited to dream about knowing who God is and what we long for and how that manifests in a beautiful new heaven and new earth. I want someone who is better at painting than me. I actually tried to find some paintings and there just wasn't any. I always tried to do that. Um, I, I, I think the Lord has given us beauty and creativity 
to cultivate expectancy. Like someone paint a picture of what you think new heaven and earth could be and someone else paint another picture because it's all going to be beautiful and it's all going to be so much less than the actual reality. And in this living, breathing, beautiful new place, it will surpass the experiences of the first couple in the Garden of Eden. Because Adam and Eve were in direct relationship with God, but they only had limited community. They had no concept of what's before us today, this, the community of the fellowship of people that exists today here on earth. And community has only ever existed in the fall. So in this new heaven and new earth, we get direct communion with God like they did in, in Eden, but we also get living, breathing relationships with the community of heaven. That is a beauty that none of us have ever experienced and we can long for. Like if I love community now, if I love when we have our combined worship services and we just go nuts worshiping Jesus, what will that look like in the new heaven and new earth? What will that look like totally redeemed where people aren't distracted about the sound of their voice or what they look like or what they ate or how much sleep they got? None of that. We will be in joyous, restored community with one another and God will be right there with us. God will live in intimate, uninterrupted fellowship with his people who will be completely free of pain. I've been waking up with some terrible back pain lately. I've been seeing a chiropractor who's been saving my life. But like even the thought of that, because it's been a little bit of a while, waking up without back pain, sign me up. Like we will live in community and nothing that has ailed us, no anxiety, no depression, no sin, no temptation, no failure, no pain, nothing that has ever interrupted our fellowship with one another and our fellowship with God will exist in this new heaven and earth. And that is what we live in expectation of. So what does that mean for us? One, we are sojourners. We are not comfortable here, and that's okay. If you have ever felt like you didn't quite fit in, that could have been because of the sinfulness of this world, but it also spoke to the fact that you were created for a different community, a different place, to live in communion with God and others in a different way. So embrace your strangerness here on this planet because it's a part of who you are in the kingdom of God. Um, when I first came to Aliquippa, I, I served on the Aliquippa summer staff, and one of the things we did was we all got library cards and we got a tour of the Aliquippa library, which is a gorgeous, beautiful library. I still think it's one of the prettiest libraries here. And halfway through the tour, um, this woman took us into the room and it had all the pictures of what Franklin Avenue looked like back in the day, the good old days. And like, then we sat through this like wonderful tour, wonderful tour. But we sat through like 10 minutes of her talking about what it used to be, how good it was back then. And, and that was it. Like there was no like resolution. And I just remember thinking, um, no, like I, that's not why I came to Aliquippa. I did not come to Aliquippa to try revisit an old version of what it was. I came to Aliquippa to experience what God is doing here and now and the kingdom coming here and now. So let us not long for the country that it was before, even if it was great, even if life was more comfortable. It is not what the Lord has for us. We are to be uncomfortable and we are to be looking in the distance for what God has for us. 
I love this um, phrase, while living, oh, it's before the sojourners, so you can go back, thanks. <laughs> while living in tents below, ooh, we must live a life worthy of our calling, aware that our time is brief and that we are on a journey to the eternal city. I just love the tent analogy. I don't know why. It really solidifies traveler for me. This ain't it. My house built in the 1950s that seems to be falling apart day by day, no matter what we do, it's not forever. So we are sojourners. Um, temptation will exist for us as travelers because the enemy still tries to convince us of the very first lie in Genesis, to doubt God's word to us about the future and to point out the beauty that's in front of us. He wants us to be tempted to grasp at the empty beauty in front of us that the world has painted for us and to doubt that God has something better for us. If the road looks grim before us, the enemy wants to sneak in and be like, yeah, but do you remember this comfort that came from the world? Do you remember this temptation that felt great for a moment? Do you remember how you felt then? I don't know if God really promised deliverance for you because you've sure been waiting a real long time. I've heard that lie before. Waiting for healing, waiting for deliverance, waiting for something. The enemy's like, are you sure God promised? Are you sure it's for you, though? Sure it's not just for them? The enemy will tempt us to long for the old country, to long for the comforts that's not a tent. If we look at these stories from Hebrews 11 of the people in it, they are ripe with moral failure. This did not cancel out the, the, their faith, but it did steal from them. It stole from them the full experience of what God had for them. So I'm not saying that the moment that we give in to temptation to go back to the comforts of this world, that, oh, you messed up, too bad, you knew better. This is a lie I believed when I was in high school and college. Like, you knew better and you still fell into sin. Sorry, you don't get to have it. I don't believe that. I know that's not true in scripture, but what I do know is it steals the fullness of what God has for me. So I will live my life persevering and saying, Satan, you do not get to tell me that this is better. You do not get to steal from me what God has promised me. There is fullness and joy today, and you don't get to steal that from me. This temporary pleasure, this temporary temptation is not worth it. In Ephesians 4.22, we see that we are to put off our old self. A few weeks ago, John talked about the torch that each of us gets to carry. And in our weariness, I believe that we set the torch down because it gets heavy. I think about when we like uh, extend our hands to pray for somebody. I'm always like trying to angle my arms so that depending on how long the prayer is, I can remain faithful to like extending my arm. And sometimes I like hold my arm and I'm like, no, I'm still going to pray for them. In life, our arm gets weary from holding the torch of expectancy. And in those moments, not only are we tempted into tempor temporary comforts, we're tempted to look at long-term earthly accomplishments as like a comfort in our weariness. So say I'm expecting of God's to come, but man, I've been waiting a long time. At least I know in a couple years my car will be paid off. That'll feel really great. I'm going to set my torch down and acknowledge that, oh man, eventually 
I will buy a house that's not falling apart. Or, oh man, I will eventually accomplish this. I will eventually receive this. And we put the torch down and we cling to earthly things that give us temporary comfort. Or next season, it's like, well, he didn't come, but that's okay because I got to experience this or I got to do this. And we are tempted to set our torch down. <clears throat> it soothes our heart. Feels good. I've said this before. When I was a kid, I heard my parents say they wanted Jesus to come, and I was like, for sure, not before I'm married. Not before I have kids. Not before I go to college. No way. Like, I don't want him to come. So what does it look like for us to not have that mindset to say, well, not before I get to retire and go on to that trip that I've been planning for. Not before I can finally get through a month of bills and not have anxiety. Not before... What do we put in the not before that soothes our soul that he hasn't come yet? And what is he asking to rid ourselves of, to remove from, so that we can live in full expectation? We are not meant to feel comfortable here. We are called to live by faith with expectancy of God's promises to be fulfilled. We are strangers, and we are living in full faith that his promises are coming. So that means we need to look at scripture, dig into community, and listen to what it means to grow in our faith. Are we in a community where we are, are, are sharing our weariness with one another, and we are speaking truth to it daily? Because though we are aliens, that God has given us a, a saintly community that can bear burdens with one another. And we can say, my faith is so low. Please have faith for me today. My faith is so low, but I see what God is doing in your life, and that builds faith for me. Um, I have a little text thread with some women here in the church, and man, I've been so encouraged by it. Because there are some low lows that we have walked through together, but again and again, we have seen... <clears throat> the faith of our other sisters bringing us out of the pits of despair, like literal despair, tears, sickness, sadness. And the Lord has given a holy community to say, that's not what faith looks like. This is what faith looks like. This is what truth looks like in light of your weariness. So we are expectant and we are growing in our faith. We are also developing our gifts. Find a safe community to ask God what he is doing and how he has gifted you. Find a safe place to say, I think God tells, talks to me in this way. Or I think sometimes I get dreams. Could that be God? Um, I think that I have a boldness in teaching. Could that be God? Find a safe community. There's places like deeper, well, no, not deeper life. There's missional communities and rooted and, and various places that are safe to say, what has God given me for the kingdom? Um, and fight Babylon. So there's a new heaven and a new earth, and there's Babylon and empire. And we are constantly fighting against that. There is spiritual warfare for the saints who live faithfully. It's not all, it's, it's that picture of the ship blowing up around you, okay? Enemy doesn't like it. Enemy doesn't like that you feel comfortable living in a tent here. He wants you to feel very uncomfortable. So we need to find spaces where we are growing in our ability to identify the enemy's attacks on us and speak against it. Find people who you can call up and be like, he's doing it again. 
and you immediately go into prayer for it. I have someone who called me the other day and she was just sharing like the muck that she was in. And she was like, I know it's the enemy. It's so recognizable now what he does, like his cheap tricks he does to lie to me. But as we were praying against it boldly, we also acknowledged like the muck is still there. Like the enemy still has the ability to disrupt and lie. And so we are growing in our ability to not just identify it, but to say no more, not again, not as much. You do not get to have a, uh, any authority in my life. So learn to cultivate, establish relationships with one another where you fight Babylon together, where you fight the enemy together. Um, and then expect a little of this world. Again and again, brush off your expectations of this world. I do not belong. This is not eternal. I am not from here. So we are sojourners. We are called to live in faith and expectancy. And we are promised a new city. And I, Jake, or whoever's coming, you can come up, I guess. Or is anyone playing? I don't know. Okay. Um, I told my missional community, I, am ta I love teaching, but I am terrible at transitions. Not my strong suit. I'll just drop it and walk away. Um, so I'm trying to work on that. <laughs> but we are promised a new city, which means that I want us as a body to dream about that new city. Because I want that image that God has given us that is far off in the distance to still be visible to us as we persevere. So dream what does it look like? What is the beauty that can exist in a fully restored city where we have full community and intimacy with God that has never been experienced by anyone on earth? The beauty of community and intimacy with God in perfect city. Go on a hike and look around you and say, what does a new city look like? Look at the brokenness inside of you and say, what does a new city look like? What does God want me to long for? It's not success in this world. And so again, I want to pull up that um, sentence that I did at the beginning and declare for us today that the hallelujahs of the renewed world will drown out the voice of woe forever. We are strangers living in tents, living out faith, knowing that what is coming is beautiful and it will drown out any of the darkness that we experience today. And that's why today I can more fully say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus.